You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? David, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing really good. We're recording uh, Saturday. I went to the, the Stoicon X event, online event this morning. Just uh, things that probably don't mean much to people who aren't really big into Stoicism, but that uh, Chris Fisher was there, Anthony Long, just uh, big authors and uh, podcasters and people that, that really they know Stoicism a lot more than I do. So then I get to learn learn things. So they're kind of big deals in the world of Stoicism. It's really a big deal to me, but to anybody outside of Stoicism, probably has no idea what I'm excited about. Yeah. No, no, I think it's, it's, I think Stoicism is something that like my limited knowledge of it has helped me like feel better about the world, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I know since like I've had a, uh, you know, I had a panic attack like two years ago and uh, I've been sort of recovering from that. And like, now I'm in a very good place and just like, I like this like stoic you know, mindset or like this stoic attitude yeah. in towards life. And by the way, David, I need to make fun of you a little bit. Cause I know yes. when we use Riverside, um, you know, when you hit record, it like has that countdown five, four, three, two, yep. one, and you count down every single time. I, I can see myself. that. I can see that. So I didn't know if you knew that I could see that and I could see when the recording starts, but. Oh yeah. I can't help myself, but count, do the countdown. Yeah. Even though nobody <laughs> gets to hear it. Um, that. That you know the stuff you're describing of stoicism that's helpful, right? Is that stoicism is the root of cognitive behavior therapy, and then more than just the techniques, there is this attitude with stoicism. the uh, The meetup today was really talking about traditional stoicism and the idea of the stoic god. And it might be interesting to any of our followers that are really interested in the idea of Norse pagan spirituality, because it is what is the pagan spirituality of the stoic philosophers. The argument is that's actually required to fully implement their moral or ethical system, as you've. The, the decision-making system of the Stoics, that yeah. it only logically makes sense if you have that uh, understanding of the Stoic God basically being just the universe. So kind of belief in the universe as uh, something meaningful rather than just a bunch of uh, atoms flying around randomly. But yeah, yeah no, definitely. A little summary of it. Yeah. And Sean, what are we talking about this week? Uh, so we are going to continue our, well, not, can, not continue. We're going to do part two of our um, series of episodes on Freyr. Uh, the Vanier God. So last week we discussed in depth Freyr discussing his appearances thus far in our stories up until now, primarily that he was a part of a hostage exchange where he joins the Aesir from the Vanier after the war. How in the Yinglinga saga, it mentions that the kings of Sweden in modern day Norway were often his descendants, including the current Norwegian monarch, uh, King Harald, how he was gifted Alfheim, the land of the elves by the Aesir, and how he owns the ship Skidbladnir, which can be folded up and put into one's pocket. Also, in our recent poem, Lokasena, we also learned that he is the product of incest by his father Njord and Njord's unnamed sister, and how those incestuous tendencies carried on to him and his sister Freya. However, his relationship with his sister didn't stop him from lusting after the giantess Gerder a story which we discussed in part one, a story which was from Gilfaganin of the Proceta, where Freyr sent his servant Skirner to woo her on his behalf, with Gerder ultimately agreeing to marry Freyr nine days later. Freyr, however, had to give his sword to Skirner for his deed, a deed in which would put Frey without a sword when it mattered the most against the sons of Muspel at Ragnarok. So this week, we will discuss pretty much the same story, however, a somewhat different version, which is going to be from the Poetic Edda poem for Skirness, one in which the beginning and the end are very similar to what we discussed in the previous week. However, 
the sinister means Skirner goes on to coerce Girder into marrying Frey are worthy of a discussion. So here we go. David, how does that sound? It's good. And yeah, this is probably the, the biggest source that really talks about Frey, right? He's, he's a little bit part, little character in most other stories, right? He's just like one of the gods that gets a gift or he's one of the you know gods Loki makes fun of. But then even this one, that's like the biggest story we have about Frey. It's actually mostly about Skirner, right? <laughs> which is kind of interesting yeah. that Frey is kind of passive. He's not that active. I think it said in John Lindau, there's one other major source that's not in the prose edda or the poetic edda, but maybe a saga. Is that the one about the um, the descendants of the kings or the kings descending from? Yeah, Frey, yeah. You know? So, and I mentioned that briefly earlier. So, from Yingling's saga, yeah. which is also a work written by Snorri Sturluson, like separate from the prose edda, Freya, the humanized version of Freya and his father Njord, you know, sort of inherit the kingdom of Sweden from Odin. And this is the humanized version of Odin as well. And his descendants ultimately, uh, you know, for like, you know, continue the kingdom of Sweden, but like somehow they go on to the kingdom of Norway as well. And Yingling's saga, which is from Hemskringla, is, is very interesting because it details every single king from Freyr until like Hafton the Black and, you know, Harold Fairhair, who we think actually existed. And it gives like a page, a uh, you know, summary of each of those kings, if that makes sense. No, and I, I think that might be a really interesting one. Maybe in the new year, maybe in our season three, we'll get into it because I haven't read it yet. But I, I can see that one really tying in your interest in the historical parts because I don't know anything about the historical sure. part. And then still also the hero's journey and looking at sagas. Um, we'll have to see how we come back to that one in the future. Well, no, it, like I definitely think we should because like, similar to the prologue of the Prosata, where Snorri like gives this, you know, humanized version of the creation of like the Norse gods kind of. Hemskringla, which is also Snorri's work, which Yingling's saga is in, you know, does the same thing with the beginning portion where it details Freyr to Hafton the Black, I believe. But then it gives like huge stories on Hafton the Black, Harold Fairhair, his son Hakan the Good, who's brothers with Eric Bloodaxe. And it's, it kind of like definitely brings in a historical aspect, a historical aspect of the, of the story of the Norse gods which we primarily know from Snorri Sturluson, who wrote both of them. So, And that's what, going back to our uh, very first episode we ever did, Sean wanted to talk about uh, Dark Age history, and, and I, I haven't let him. So, <laughs> we'll <get laughs> Yeah, right. I've done, it, I've done it a little bit, but like if, if I did a Dark Age history podcast, then we'd be even, like, it would not be good. There's so many better ones out there. And I know there's like better Norse mythology podcasts out there, but like it's, it's even worse with dark age history. Cause there's some like really good ones out there. So, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to Google yourself, but I Google uh Norse mythology podcast every once in a while. And sometimes we show up as like number four. So I feel pretty good. There we go. We did it. But anyway, so we can, we can go ahead and get started. So again, this is going to be for Skirnus, which I'm guessing Skirnus is, uh, you know, a name similar to Skirner, who's the primary main character on this poem, but this is going to be from the poetic era. So there's going to be a prose introduction where you learn that, and again, this this entire story is very similar to what we discussed last week in Gilfaganine from the Prosetta. So Freyr, the son of Njorth, or Nord, sat on Hishklaf and looked out over all of the worlds. When he looked into Jotunheim, he saw a beautiful woman who walked from her father's house to her own, which was next door to her father's house, it seems. He became lovesick over her. So at the same time, Njorth, his father, asked Freyr's servants, Skirnis, to approach Freyr and see why he was so sad. 
This is exactly what happened last week. However, it happens a little bit different in Gofaganine, where Freyer got banished uh, temporarily from Asgard because Hlishkaf, God, that was way off. Hlishkaf is Odin's seat. Yeah, we can keep this in or take it out if you want, but it's it's Odin's seat. Yeah. Yes, it's Odin's seat. He's not allowed to sit in Odin's seat, so they banished him. But when he came back, he was depressed. Um, Anyway, so they did not include that in for Skirness, but... Anyway, Njorth asks Skirnus to go see why his son Freyr is so upset. So then that's where the, the stanzas start. So Skirnir reluctantly goes to Freyr, but he expects bad words from him, him being Freyr. He says, tell me, Frey, or Freyr, greatest among the gods, why are you sitting in the hall all by yourself? Freyr then says that although the sun shines all day, he is still not soothed by it. It's interesting that he's afraid of Freyr. I don't fully know. You know, we, we don't know a ton about Freyr. Doesn't usually seem like one to be afraid of, but uh, I think that is. You know, in Lokasena, there's a few things they say suggesting we should be afraid of him. I'm like, I'm, I don't see anything that makes me afraid of Freyr, but uh, well, maybe there's something we're not seeing. Yeah, no, exactly. And like, this is why it's so interesting because, like, in Lokasena especially, and it's like I know Snorri mentions this in, I believe it's in Gilfaganine, like where Freyr is considered among the greatest of the gods. Yeah. And I think Tyr mentions it in Locusena as well. And he's obviously this character of high repute. And maybe that's why the Aesir decided to give him Alfheim in the first place, even though he's like this glorified hostage that was sent to them from the Vanir. But there's got to be something to him that maybe the other, you know, gods or characters in general fear or admire or both. It was an interesting thing I read too, that him being a hostage, it's it's not necessarily such a bad thing or like a punishment or anything like that. It really was somewhat meant like the way they would do marriages to blend two kind of families together so that then the two warring sides wouldn't fight that you exchange these brothers or siblings, right. To each side. And they're really treated quite well. That's why, yeah. I mean, we see that, right. That he's given uh Benaheim and all of this. So it's Alfheim. Alfheim. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Not so um, but that, uh, yeah. So it's not exactly like a, a punishment or he should be ashamed to be, but then again, it is interesting the way, like, you know, you're supposed to send your best, and then they sent Honir, s- supposing he was the best, and then the Vanir were not happy that you did not send your best. <laughs> and then yeah. the Vanir gets it, though, who, who was, is some of the best of them. He's Odin's uh, favorite mentor. So, Yeah, definitely. Oh, and I wanted to read this one just because I, I love how dramatic it is. This is the stuff that starts to remind me of uh, Shakespeare. And so this Fre- is from uh, whose translation Larrington. is Larrington? Larrington's. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so, uh, so Freyr says back to Skirnir. When he asks, you know, why, why are you so sad? He says, why should I tell you, young man, about my great sorrows of heart? For the elf radiance shines day after day, but not according to my desires. The, the elf radiance being the sun. So the sun shines, but not the way I want it to. <laughs> I'm just like, boohoo, get over yourself, man. Awesome. So Skirnis asks Freyr again, what's wrong? And indicates that they were companions a while ago. So this is where we learn that, you know, we know Skirner is Frey's servant, especially based on last week, but we learned here that there's um, there's some bond between them because they were companions, maybe like on some adventure before Freyr was elevated to the status that like Skirner kind of followed along as his servant, but there's there's something there. Frey eventually, or Freyr gives in and then tells Skirnus, Skirner, excuse me, that he saw a beautiful woman in Hymir's yard, but nobody not the elves or the gods would bless a marriage between them. And so I am wondering why, like, I know it's, there's like some, uh, 
there's obviously the gods and then the giants and they're like sworn enemies. But we've all also seen that that does not stop them from marrying each other or like having children with each other. Yeah. There was a, another thing I was reading. It was probably John Lindau, but I've been reading a few different sources that the direction which these things go, right? Like, you know, a, a giantess can come and marry into the Aesir for an Aesir to be married off to the Jotunar. That's very offensive, right? That's not, not how it's supposed to go. But it seems like they should be allowed to then marry Frey, but I wonder why not. Yeah. This is yeah. just the, the way it was written in the poem. Uh, Frey says, in Gymir's court, I saw walking a girl pleasing to me. Her arms shine, and from them all the sea and the air catch light. More pleasing to me is the girl than any girl to any young man. In bygone days of all the gods and elves, no one wishes that we should be together. And just the way yeah. it's written that dramatically, it's like, is it really that no one will bless the marriage or he's just like, woe is me, none will wish us to be together. And it's like, maybe if you went and asked her out, someone would agree. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a victim. Oh, woe is me. Um, but now to your point, like, because you know, uh, with um, Skadi and Yorth getting married and like Yorth is a Vanir god and Skadi is a giantess and the circumstances were definitely different there. Like Skadi chose Yorth trying to choose um, Balder to be her husband and the gods were doing Skadi a favor because her father got killed at their hands, but like they're not like opposed to a goddess or like a giantess marrying a, a Vanir God. But so you have to wonder why Frey or thinks that nobody would bless their marriage. Maybe she's like lowborn, but you know, but this God wasn't happy to marry a, a Vanir, right? So maybe that is that, you know, uh, what is her name? We're talking about Gerd. Yeah. That Gerd's father maybe wouldn't care for, maybe would like her to marry up to an Aesir, but uh, not a Vanir so much. Yeah. Yeah, or well, she. Yeah, and I know, like we uh, have discussed this on a previous episode, but Skadi chose Newarth to marry her because she thought it was bolder because she chose the man with the prettiest feet because she could only choose her husband based on their feet, and Newarth had the prettiest feet, but he she was not or he was not bolder who Skadi wanted to marry. And David, I didn't tell you this, but like when uh, we had Christine help us out with our uh with our episode with our little uh, fun episode that we just did for our 50th uh you know episode special where we did yeah. locusena she voiced skating and i was kind of giving her background background on skating and she said well you know like that makes sense because you know the really manly men wouldn't have pretty feet because like maybe if they're like a lumberjack's feet or something and i'm just, i just like thought that was like very funny i was like i never thought about that like you know to each their own but like it's just kind of funny like she assumed that like a man with the prettiest feet wouldn't be like you know, a muscular man. And I didn't really tell her who Boulder was at that point, but I just thought yeah. that was funny. That, that Skadthi is the, the huntress. She's kind of like of the, the goddess or feminine archetypes, the, the warrior woman. So kind of like Thor, but a woman, right. And from the uh, Jotunar, the feminine side. So that maybe she wants a little more feminine man with pretty feet. Right. I mean, that's, uh, and they still, they weren't a good match, but yeah. So yeah. <laughs> anyway. So at this point, Skirner then offers to go to Jotunheim to convince the woman, Gerder, to marry Freyr. But he asks for Freyr's sword that fights by itself to help him fight the giants on his journey. Freyr agrees, but makes note that the sword only fights by itself if it is wielded by a wise man. So Skirner agrees to go and says that he will come back with the woman or he will not come back at all. So you'll see here that there's like a total commitment and loyalty to Freyr, which either shows, or maybe it's both, it shows that there is that bond between him and Freyr, but there's also, as his servant, maybe this, um, I guess, this uh, ambition by Skirner to earn favor, more favor with Freyr, 
to where he can earn a position of like high stature among the Aesir gods or like their court. And that kind of reminds me of like Game of Thrones, which I believe we discussed last week, where maybe he's like a, uh, you know, a little finger character that like comes from kind of nothing, but like wants to, you know, grow his reputation and grow his power. It's very interesting as you say Littlefinger there. Um, so let me read from this is stanza eight. Wait, so you actually get this this uh, pop culture reference? I get this one. I've, I've watched Game of nice. Thrones. That's one. That's what I've actually seen go. the whole series. Honestly, <laughs> but that uh, and that he's well. So let me read this first of how he asks for it. So he says, does, and I kind of want to emphasize the context. Right, it's right after Freyr being like, "Woe is me," and I can't do anything for myself, and I'm a victim. And he's like, "Well, give me that horse, which will carry me through." the knowing dark flickering flame and that sword, which fights by itself against the giant race. It raises the question as you were describing it before, it almost raised the question to me like, well, is he just borrowing the sword? Cause he needs it for a difficult journey or did he get Freyr to give up his most important weapon? And now he owns it. Right. Yeah. And as you think about it that way and him being little finger and what is he tricking him into? So Sean, you know what I'm going to say? Who is the Skirness guy? I, I don't know. Ned Stark. What? <laughs> No, no. The question is: Is he just Skurnus, or is he Loki, or is he somebody else in disguise? Right? Oh, is he Loki in disguise? I have a feeling it's Loki tricking Frey. Yeah, something. When I read that line, that's I wrote that note to you because I'm like, no, that uh, makes sense. I don't know. I don't know why I was thinking Ned Stark. I was thinking about like the person (laughs) that Littlefinger tried to screw over. Yeah, someone who's going to lose their head later is Ned Stark. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that makes sense. So yeah, everyone's Loki or everyone's Odin to David (laughs) in Norse mythology. I mean, it makes sense. Like if, um, and that's what Littlefinger's the trickster too. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's if you're actually supposed to think he's Loki, but he's very much a trickster type. This is where it started to become clear to me. But yeah, <laughs> nice. I, I didn't make that connection, so I kind of like that. But if uh, you know, if you if you are the character Loki, you already know that like your you and your spawn are going to be the downfall of the gods. But like while you're waiting for that to happen, you know why not have some fun? And so you know maybe like he also plays, you know, some other parts like as this like puppet master where he also can get a sword that prevents Frey from having this sword at Ragnarok. Well, and then um, one thing to, to tie it to my thought, you know, my, I don't know if it makes sense to anyone as I bring in the story of the, the grail last week, but several things here that where it lines up to me, you know, when, um, when Frey saying the sun doesn't shine the way I want it to. Right. And and why won't people, you know, agree to this being a harmonious marriage, right? Why would no one bless this? That he's he's going against something, right? He's using the throne when he's not supposed to, to see the world. And he sees things he's not supposed to see. That because he's determined to get her, even though she doesn't fit and, you know, it's like not right for him. Well, he can do that. But again, the trickster is going to balance the scales, maybe something like that. So that's yeah. the reason why it uh, fits to me. Not definitely. So anyway, Skirner goes to Gaimir's Hall in Jotunheim, and he notices that there's fierce dogs that were chained up there. He approached the herdsmen to ask how he could get around the dogs to speak to Girth, and Girth is also Girder, depending on the translation. Real quick, I wanted to note that when uh, there was also like Hounds of Hell, I believe, when Odin traveled to Niflheim in um, Baldur's Drummer, but there's always seems to be dogs out there as like a you know, guard dogs pretty much, which I thought was pretty cool. And the dogs and yeah, whether they're wolves or just dogs and there's something, yeah. A a motif that shows up. Definitely. So anyway, the herdsman pretty much told him that there's no way in hell he would be able to speak to Girth. He asked Skirner if he had some type of death wish in making the journey to see her. That's interesting because yeah, in the prosetta, there was not a gatekeeper, right? I don't think. 
We just didn't I don't get believe to hear, so. We didn't get no, to hear was, anything about this detail. Yeah. Yeah, and in, in, in Snorri's version, and it's like again, I know we make a joke that Snorri's version is very like PG in in many different stories, in this one for certain. But yeah. in Snorri's version, I'm pretty sure it was just like, oh, I'm going to go there, and and then like right, the next scene is him speaking to Gerder. Right. This and, is a little bit different though. And that's part of that. Even within this poem, this is where it starts to feel like they maybe chopped up some stories or took out some pieces. And I don't know why they would have taken it out. I guess I'll tell you my theory now is that maybe there is some version of the story where either Frey or a different god does come to try to take the princess Gerd himself. But then this version with Frey, they're like, no, it's really Skirner doing it. And then as they try to make sense of all these stories, they just had to like cut out some of the middle where it doesn't make sense. Is, is Frey actually here fighting the giant to gain his bride or not? Sort of like, that's how the story is supposed to go. But that's not how this story goes. And when it becomes a little disjointed, I think that's why. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, David, I see your note here about how like the herdsman may have been Gerd's brother. Yeah. And Skirner or Frey may have had to kill him to get in. I'm not sure if that's something you wanted to bring up uh, a little bit later. but No, I'll definitely talk about it now because, yeah, it's, I think it's that idea. That there probably was some story where Frey or somebody was coming to get Gerd or a woman very much like her. And they had to kill their brother. And that's why that theme shows up other places where it's like, you know, they, they uh, put their arms around their brother's killer and something about Gerd's brother. I'm trying to think the exact where it comes up again. So is, yeah. And why does this herdsman Later in really, this poem it does, yes. Right. And so why does this herdsman really have such a problem with, with that? So whether it's this gatekeeper herdsman that is the brother or he's warning him that he's going to have to fight the brother. But then we lose the battle with the brother because <laughs> I think that's what's supposed to happen here. But um, I think it just goes, there were lots of different stories and then they tried to write them down and make them all make sense, which is perfectly fine. Definitely. So anyway, the herdsman, if it's not Gerder's brother, says that like, you know, there's no way you're going to see her. Skirner then makes a comment about how his choices are better than cowardice. And as in his choices of him maybe dying on this journey are better than cowardice in that his fates and probably his death was decided long ago, and I'm assuming by the Norns, but it's it's funny how like Skirner knows like how this how this works and like how this works like being like how we've interpreted Norse mythology like throughout this podcast about how like fate is gonna happen and they're all fated to die, but at the same time they have to like live their life the way they want to to make the most out of it. And so like it seems like Skirner acknowledges it here, but if you look at a character like Odin in Havamal, he kind of like has this sense of regret that he did not have, live his life that way. And like, he always worries about Ragnarok. He worries about his death to the point where he maybe doesn't enjoy his life. And David, I'm not sure if you made that connection as well, but I am curious. No. And yeah, and Larrington didn't leave any footnotes, but I'll just read the stanza. He says, um, Skirner says the choices are better than simply sobbing for a man who is eager to advance. For on one day, all my lifespan was shaped and all my days laid down. Yeah. So he's, he's talking about fate, but is this part like, you know, they're, the the gatekeeper, the, the herdsman is threatening him. And he's saying, well, it's better for me to take what I want than to be the man who's complaining. No, you don't get to have her. You can't do what you can't come into our castle. And he's saying, no, I'm being courageous and you're whining, uh, which is interesting considering how much Frey whines. So I, I don't know what it means. Well, no, it's, but I, like, I find this very interesting because like, let's say he, like, he's pretty much saying like, I'm going to live my life with no regrets. 
And like, I know, and we're going to see here that like here shortly that Skirner is kind of a piece of shit, but like, let's say you take like somebody that is like a knight or something like a noble knight. And like, you're escorting like a, a, like, let's say, I don't know, like some fairy tale scenario, you're escorting like a, uh, a princess through the woods, like the dangerous woods. And these two people come try to capture her or these two like men try to capture her and you like die defending her honor. You pretty much like try to fight them off and you die. Like, is that a better death than you die in a bold age or something like that? And I know that's not the connection. It's not like a very direct connection, but like, he's pretty much saying, well, no, like this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to have any regrets. And like right now, like I'm here on a mission and I want to like do this the right way type of thing. And maybe I'm like, it's like a swing and a miss on my end, but I can kind of see what he's saying. Like, I'm going to die. I already know that. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to do what I can. I think that's very much the other, the courage, fate. Make sure, bring back up to me that idea of the oath, right? Skirner's oath to Frey. Um, when I get to the interpretation at the end, because yeah, that's just yeah. standing out to me now. Yeah. So like, yeah, and I guess to your point, like he made an oath to Frey that he was going to bring Gerda back to be his bride. And let's say he was like, you know what, herdsman, you're right. I'm afraid. I'm going to go back home. And he loses his favor with Frey, Freyer, but he gets to live another 50 years or something, or however long the gods live, or the servants of the gods live. And he has to live with that for the rest of his life, that he could have made something more of himself if he went through that mission, but he didn't because he didn't feel like getting into this fight that may result in his death. Yeah, for for him to uh, to retreat is not a life worth living. I think is uh, yes. It's both, it, I see so many parallels between the Stoic stuff and the and the Norse mythology stuff too. Though, so that's, but maybe that's yeah. Me. I probably would have gone back unless like they would have killed me. Like unless I thought the Aesir were going to kill me if I came back empty-handed. But that, that's a good question, right? Yeah, it, does uh, he have protection from anybody else, or is uh, he's afraid of Frey for some reason? Yeah, I really would like to know actually what is yeah, Frey's dark side and what we need to be afraid of. But uh, yeah. Have a thought on that, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so then the poem goes into Gerter's house or Gerth's house. A serving girl notes that a man, Skirner, is outside. Gerth tells the servant to invite the man in, though she is concerned that he may be the one that killed her brother. And, and so, yeah, and maybe ahead. it's that he killed her years and years ago, right? But this is a place where it's like between these stanzas where it's Wait, did something happen that we missed? Did he, he just kill her brother? Right, because there's the the way that the uh, servant announces that there's a man outside is she says, "What is that noise which I hear now, making a noise in our dwelling? The earth tremble trembles, and all Gymir's court shudder before it." And it sounds like Thor arrived outside, right? Especially after we just did a uh, Bela's part in Lokasena, the way she's like, yeah. "Oh no, the earth is shaking. Thor has has heard you insult uh, Sif." Right? It's the same feeling in this poem, right? That that the land is shaking, right? There's been a mighty battle between giants and heroes. And then she's saying her brother, someone killed her brother, right? So I, I think we're missing something here, but that is just yeah. my theory. Nobody, I don't think anyone gave me that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like our listeners, if they have any other ideas, like I'm sure like we can like Wikipedia it and, or like go into like, you know, like look into it online and see like who the theories are of who Gerther slash Gerth's brother is. But like, let's say hypothetically, we look at this poem and the herdsman is Gerth's brother. And let's say, you know, Skirner says, well, no, no, like, I'm not going back. This is my fate. I'm going to kill you. Then he kills him. 
And then let's say there's like a lot of missing, a lot of stuff missing from the poem where Gerder somehow knows that his, her brother died. She's not sure who, but she sees this man outside and says, maybe that's who killed him. Right. Another way to say it though, too, is if we don't think of it being her literal, just she has one brother, but as the idea that we're all brothers and who is the killer of her kinsmen, but Thor, right. And that the ground shakes when Thor shows up. Right. So I, I'm not saying that um, Skirner is Thor, but there probably was some story where Thor did this maybe. And then um, maybe there were many versions of, you know, stories where they're abducting a princess. Right. I think that's, we'll, we'll come back to that one. Cause that shows up in here as well. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, Gerth uh, meets Skirner in, she asked him if he is of the elves, Aesir, or the Vanir, then asked why he came. Skirner stated that he is not an elf, Aesir, or Vanir. And which that's interesting because I always, I thought there you could make some connection that he is an elf, but he says that he's not right here. And that he had to travel over flame in the journey, pretty much saying, I've gone through hell to get here. He stated that he has 11 apples made of gold to offer her if she would marry Freyr. Girth then rejects the offer. Skirner then offered her Dropnir, which is Odin's ring, which that's very interesting in itself, and stated that every ninth night it makes eight other rings just like it. Girth rejects the offer again, stating that she has enough gold in her father Gamir's home. Skirner then drew attention to the sword Freyr gave him. He threatened then to use it to cut off her neck unless she went back home to Freyr with him. Yep, your head I shall strike from your neck, as it says, yeah. That uh, a couple really interesting things here, right? I mean, one is that when she's like, who are you? What type of creature are you, right? They say that a lot sometimes when they can't tell that Odin is Odin, right? And then he's like, says something mysterious and they're like, oh my goodness, he's Odin, I couldn't tell, right? Like <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. and both that Odin and Loki do this disguise thing, right? So that's another place where he really shows up to me as some kind of trickster. That he has the golden apples. Now, is, isn't there a story with Idun where they talk about her brother's killer as well? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, there's something there. Right? I, I'm not going to go into it right now, but definitely something there. And then that he has Draupnir. Now, now how did he steal Odin's ring? That, that's a thing Loki could do also. If yeah, he's Odin no, I was going to say, like that, yeah. now that you made that connection to Loki, I'm like, Loki would definitely steal Odin's ring. Or it also just goes to say, Skirner is he's really something powerful, right? He is not just this servant guy that showed up one day, right? Like he is, he, he has some powers beyond just a good sword fighter. Right. Um, so yeah, that's where this starts to, starts to become apparent. Uh, but we still don't really know who is Skirner. Yeah. Yeah. And it says, yeah, 11 apples here. I have all of gold. Those I will give you Gerd to buy your favor that you may say that Freyr is the least loathsome man alive. So just to say that he's not a, I don't know, is Freyr actually beautiful or maybe not? This is, this is I'm starting to wonder, but uh, let's see. I think I already said these points here. And then he threatens her at sword point. He's like, well, that didn't work. We threatened her at sword fight. He's exactly. not the most subtle, right? And and at some point he, oh, and we'll get into this, I guess, in a minute, that he punishes, he threatens to punish her with magic and to leave her like a, kind of like a watchman like Heimdall is. So I don't know if Heimdall's being a watchman is a punishment, but as they were insulting him about his mucky back and kind of sitting on the edge of the world. Maybe Lokesana, Heimdall, yeah. Yeah, maybe Heimdall was punished, but he's kind of threatening to do that to her. So it's interesting. It says, don't you see the sword girl in uh, slender and inlaid, which I have here in my hand? Before these edges, the old giant will fall. Your father will be doomed. I'll, yeah. to, yeah. I'll, I'll strike you with a taming wand. I will tame you, girl, to my desires. There you shall go 
where the sons of men will never see you again. So I don't know if that's hell or Jotunheim. Um, that, that he's a magician too, right? Besides a warrior. That's, I think, becoming clear. Yeah. And so he, he starts to get very dark. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read a few stanzas from Jackson Crawford's uh, translation here in a second. But like when she initially says, like, no, he, he says, well, no, I'm not taking no for an answer pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, well, and I think it's, then she's saying uh, that her father will come and fight him, right? So oh, I'm not scared of your sword. My father will kill you. And that's when he then is like, oh, so if my, my sword threat doesn't work, let's, um, he goes further. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so, so she's like, she's like, her house is very close to her father's. Like maybe it's like some estate or something like that. And she's like, well, she's probably like also including like the guards and like the herdsmen or like say like, well, no, if you threaten me again, like you're going to die. And so what what I'm going to do now, like, and I don't do this uh, typically, like I'm going to actually read 11 stanzas from Jackson Crawford's translation of For Skernis. There's, there's no way to summarize it other than just reading them. Yeah. No, so I'm glad oh, you and it's yeah. yeah, exactly. It's brutal. And again, like Jackson Crawford's like, he's, he's like about our age. He like, he's going to give his modern interpretation of it, but like, he makes it very clear, like what Skernis intentions are and like. Skirner's not going to take no for an answer. So this starts with a stanza 25, and it's going to go on through stanza 36. Do you see this sword, girl? This slender, pretty sword, which I have in my hands here. Your old father will bend his knees beneath this blade. It'll, I'll be the death of your father. I'll beat you with a club till I tame you, girl. Till you go along with my wishes. Then you'll go to a place where no one ever see you again. You will sit forever on an eagle's nest, turn away from the world, looking in at hell. Food will seem as awful to you as the Midgard serpent seems to men. You will be laughed at when you emerge. A giant man will look at you. They all stare at you. You'll be better known than Hemdal himself, staring out behind your gate. Foolishness and screaming and pain and endurable pain. May your tears grow with your sorrow. Sit down and I will tell you some sad news. I'll double your grief. Monsters will bend you over for the whole unhappy day in Yonheim. You'll crawl every day without choice, without hope. To a hall of frost trolls, you'll weep and never be happy. Your sorrows will make you cry. You'll have a three-headed giant for your husband, or go without a husband. You'll go crazy and rot with illness. You'll be like a fat thistle ripped away off its stalk and left to dry. I went to a forest to get a young tree branch to find a magic wand there. I found a magic wand there. Odin will rage at you. Thor will rage at you. Frey will hate you, you evil girl. You have earned the hatred of the gods. Then he says, hear me, giants. Hear me, frost trolls. Hear me, fire trolls. Hear me, gods. I curse this girl. I curse her. Never to know a man's love. Never to have a husband. Frimgrimnir's the name of the troll who will take you down below the gates of hell. There below the tree roots, servants will bring you goat's urine to drink. You'll never get anything better to drink, not if you want it, girl. Not even if I want it, girl. I curse you with that troll. And three other curses. Sexual shame and madness and unbearable suffering. I've cursed you already but I'll call off the curses if you give me a good reason. So again, that was Jackson Crawford's translation uh, stanzas 25 through 36 of first Kernis. What are your thoughts? And there's, there's a part where it can feel a little silly because he goes through all that. And then she's like, okay, sure. Right. But 
you know, that, that's one way to read it. But I think, I think to read it as like, she is taking this threat of magic seriously, right? That this is a really terrifying sorcerer. Really what it says to me is that Frey made a deal with the devil. So he can get the woman that he wants, that he's less after, but he had to make a deal with the devil. And so whether that's, yeah, Loki or some other uh, uh, dark figure. Um, yeah. Yeah. As I was reading it, I'm like, you know, it's, it's especially compared to Snorri Sturlson's version, right? You get here and there's probably besides just the, uh, you know, the, <laughs> just all the offensive aspects of it. Right? I'm trying to think like, there's no good way to summarize it. Right. Well, the, he's pretty like, he's, he means business. He's like, not going to take yeah. no for an answer. Besides, besides yeah. the, the sexual and the coercion nature. What also may have really concerned Snorri though, is actually just the magic aspects the talking about, he's going to get a stick. He's going to carve runes into it. He's, you know, and that has power and things like that. I don't think Snorri wanted anybody. Uh, he didn't want to be associated with any of that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so Gerth says, yes, <laughs> she, she understood his threats and made him welcome. Although, interesting enough, very yeah, similar to Locusena with Sif. She says, here, have a drink. <laughs> she says, okay, okay, calm down, have a drink, right? Have some meat. Yeah. But that's her agreeing to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but no, it's, it, it's very interesting. Like he, I don't know. There's not much else to say about it. Like he, he's, he's kind of a piece of shit, but like, I don't know. There's some aspects of like those 11 stanzas that do make him sound like Loki. I just don't know why Loki would get into this whole thing. Unless like the ultimate goal was to get the sword from Freyr, which, which yeah, L- Loki would, make would sense. do it for just for that reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, Girth then understood the threats were serious and made Skirner welcome in her father's home. She offered him a horn filled with valuable mead. Skirner asked if she has agreed to marry Freyr and when that would be. And Girth says that she will go to the grove named Barry, which we also saw last week in Gofaganine, after nine nights and that she would marry him there and then. When Skirner returned home to Freyr, he asked about the success of the mission. Skirner gave him that news and Freyr again acknowledges the long wait. Like he thought it was going to be much sooner than the nine nights. Long is one night, long are two. How shall I long through three? Often a month to me has seemed less than half of one of these wedding eves. I'm just like, good grief, Freyr. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, especially like Freyr's and like this, we saw this in Gofog. I mean, and this one, like Freyr's upset that he's got to wait nine nights to get married to somebody he's never met. So like, I don't know. But anyway. That's that's it. That's what happened, and that's how Freyr got his bride, Gerder, the giantess, or Girth, the giantess. And so there, are, you know, there are so many interesting tangents we could go on about. It's also interesting to me, just as the mead shows up there at the end. I was telling you earlier. I think I don't know if it was before we started recording the mead of poetry, right? And in that one, it's Odin going and tricking a woman and getting the mead, right? But that getting the mead, getting the bride, right? Getting getting the gold, right? All of these are different ways of how does a hero's journey go? This one, yeah, is a darker hero's journey, right? It's not the uh, the the upright one, you know, kind of upstanding, courageous. But then again, there is often something about the hero's journey and confronting the darkness uh, or the underworld. So, but yeah, Sean, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what, what do you think the story means yeah, as you get to the end of it? I mean, <laughs> so I guess as far as like the overall story, you know that Freyr, who does play a part in Ragnarok, does not have his sword. But I feel like a lot of this tells us about, I guess, not only the human spirit, but also the human, like, the human need to expand your influence 
or like your worth in the world. And yeah. we see like Freyr is this like noble, you know, this noble who is apparently supposed to be the greatest of the gods. He, it's a very, it's very perception based. Apparently he, yeah. can't, he can't even like speak to a woman. And it's like, I think like David, you and I probably both know we've had times in our middle school and high school lives where we feel like we can't speak to a woman. So we, somebody else should do it for us. And then we're still going to be regretting the answer and say like, nobody can like, no one's going to be okay with this. She's not going to be okay with this, this, et cetera. You know, um, to ask, to ask your friend, like, Hey, Hey friend, go, go ask her and she, see if she's interested in me. Right. So I don't have to put myself yeah. out there. And then I can say, well, I wasn't interested anyways. I didn't even go ask her. Right. That, Maybe that's not the proper way to do it. That is the childish way to do it. It's very natural. Every middle schooler probably does it, right? But but is that the proper way to do things? I think that what this myth is about is what is you're saying, like expand your influence. Or yeah, it's interesting, right? You it's natural to desire, right, to want more. But then, what is the right way to go about it? And and what are the right things to to want as well? Is kind of where my mind goes. But um, anything else you were saying before I jump? Well, no, no. Like I I think like if you. I don't know, like, I know, like, we as humans, we probably do a bad job of giving too much power to, like, actors or actresses, right? Like, they're, they're, they're humans. And, like, we might look at somebody like Ryan Reynolds or, like, Ryan Gosling and say, they have it all figured out. They're good-looking dudes, right? Like, I wish I had their lives when, deep down, they may have, like, some deep insecurities or, you know, they're going to find, like, maybe there's a lot of stuff that they hate about their own lives. Yeah. And people are still going to prop them up. And like, I know this is probably the worst example that I'm ever going to give on this podcast, but like, I, I know I mentioned previously that I'm a fan of the Elder Scrolls series. So in 20, in 2006, they came out with the game Elder Scrolls for Oblivion. Ultimately in 2011, they came out with Elder Scrolls five Skyrim. Between those five years, they, they hired this author to write two books to kind of bridge the gap in that timeline, which Elder Scrolls 4 took place and Elder Scrolls 5 took place 200 years later, but these two books took place like kind of in the middle. And they dealt with this uh, character named Prince Atribus, who was like the heir to the empire. And you find out early on that he's got like this secret and the secret is that he's a fraud. His father organizes these like tournaments where like people will like fight each other with blunt blades and the winner like comes out as like this like hero and they he rigged the game so his son would win and so like ultimately he becomes like a main player in the story and he has to like live up to the name that people have of him or the the thought the name that people have thought like you know he has to live up to his own perception if that makes sense Oh, yeah. And I feel like we all have that. We all have like not only imposter syndrome where we feel like we should be better, but other we have like these thoughts of other people where we prop them up higher than they should be. And so like I know this is like one aspect of this story. Freyr is looked at as the greatest of the gods. He needs to send his servant to woo this woman for him. And then you look at a character like Skirner he's probably not as noble as the gods. And he is like, well, I want to get to that level. I want to be, you know, a monk. I want to be among the noble, the nobility. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And if I die, I die, but I'm still going to try to get there. I don't know. No, it's really cool to me, but. Oh, that's an interesting one, man. I'm not, I'm not going to go on too many tangents about the, uh, the one very briefly, the Stoics talking about what are all the things that you're willing to sacrifice just to get a place at the table next to Caesar. Right. And 
you think that I'll be safe and I'll be secure because Caesar is looking out for me. But how much of your soul do you sell on the way there? Yeah, so actually, that's well, I was just reading that this morning. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like kind of topical, like in American politics. Yeah. Like there's there's a lot of people like you know if you look at like Trump's administration or any presidential administration, including like maybe Biden's as well. Like I know we try to stay away from politics, but there's always going to be people that try to earn favor from them yeah. to increase their own power. Because in American politics, yeah, I think it really doesn't depend if you're talking Republican or Democrat. There will be no. some snakes like Littlefinger that are always around. Well, it's it's funny because if you do like in American politics, if you even get into Congress, you can like insider trade to the point where you're a millionaire even after a year or two, regardless of like what political affiliation you are. And it's like, okay, well, that's my seat at the table. I'm playing the Game of Thrones and like now my family is set for life. Yeah. And so you feel like Skirner is kind of doing the same thing. So the, the way I'm, I'll try to make sure I remember to talk about um, coming back to the grail and wrap it up and try, try to explain what oh, I no, Sure. Why Sorry. I know we went that. on a tangent there, no, but. but the, what I wanted to start with is, as you talked about this, that, that oath to fray, right? And so one way I'll take this story because one way to look at the story is just like it's kind of about some awful stuff and it's like well is it just an, an example to see the the darkness of uh the human spirit right uh, i mean th that's part of it i'm sure but to think of it as a dream and then to see this as all the parts of you so there's a part of you the, the way to interpret dreams from what i've learned is every figure in the dream is you so even when i see sean in there it's not actually sean it's not about sean it's not that i need to tell sean something tomorrow because i saw him in the dream right it's what's the part of me that is sean and that there's somewhere in there that is a part of me. And when I try to picture what is that part of me like, Sean comes to mind because that's whatever reason, right? Sure. But there's a part of you that is Frey, right? And so last time, did I talk about the shadow of the lover, the the addict and the, the mama's boy? I'm pretty sure you have at some points and maybe it was last week, but I think you've touched on it previously. Yeah, maybe it was as we were leading into this, but as is very clear from Frey, right? As, as we say that he's the lover, but in this story, much more, right? So he's one, the, what, what do I mean by the mama's boy is basically just the child that wants to be cared for, right? So it's, it's the lover, but everyone take care of me, right? And Frey's not doing much for himself, right? It's, his dad even has to figure out like, it's not even like Frey's like, hey, my servant, go get me a woman, right? He's, it's like, his dad's like, my son's a mess. Can you go figure out what's wrong with him, right? And it's like, what'll make you feel better? Do I need to go get the woman for you? Okay, whatever, you know, he doesn't even ask for that, right? Not even close, right? Um, which really comes back to not asking a proper question of what does is, what is Frey need to do? The other side of the shadow, there's two, two, two different ways it can go, uh, the mama's boy or the addict. And this would be kind of, you know, addicted to love, but also people addicted to drugs, but also, you know, that he sees her body and he's lusting after her, right? Mm -hmm. And he sees, oh, and her, and her white shining arms, and th that really does it for him, right? And he doesn't even know who she is, right? That he's, he's addicted to this thing, that's not really love, right? He, but he's, he himself like props somebody else up. Yeah, he's got the solution, right? And that that's and it's not real, right? And so that's the idea that what is the lover that's not the shadow? It's making sense of those parts and um, finding something that's more in balance. So maybe there is kind of some some lust, some desire, but it's not completely false. It's not on an, an illusion. It's on something about figuring out the real person that you uh, have attraction for. And then who is Skirner? So then he is, as I would call it, and, and you don't, I don't see this archetype much combining the magician and the warrior and a very shadowy figure, right? Cause he's both, you know, he's got the sword and he's fighting and he gets through the first gate and then he's has all these threats of magic and things. So to figure out what part of that is of yourself, I actually haven't even fully thought that through, but 
it is kind of that the 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 warrior to some extent, especially kind of the shadow, does not take no for an answer. It it fights and it kills whatever it needs to get what it needs to get. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. care about the collateral damage, right? Uh, is one part of that. So it it gets the job done. Whatever you know, you know in your life you want to get the job done. But what would that look like if you didn't care about the collateral damage? That's usually pretty ugly. And and then for the shadow of the magician, I don't know. I got to <laughs> I got to think about that one for a minute. But it, I think it goes back to some of Odin's things where it's you know you can get what you want. You can, you know, you can use your mouth to talk yourself into things, but maybe you don't respect other people's autonomy in that process. And that's what the mad, the dark, the black magic sounds like here. Right. Um, yeah. So you combine those two things together and it's very dangerous and it's very threatening. And so that's what this dream is showing, right? That the fray is so determined to get this and at any cost um, and he, and he gets it at the end and then we're just left there. And I, I don't think it's going to go well for him. <laughs> I don't think he's earned it. I don't think he's learned what it meant, but let me, let me just pause myself there and uh, Sean, sure. let you chime in. Yeah. No, I mean, it all makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. Like there's so much to unpack with this, uh, with this whole, with this whole episode, but. Yeah. It's that there's, there's the, the potentialities and the human being to do all of those things, right. To, to not care about the collateral damage, to not care about other people's autonomy. Well, and then that we yeah. have to come to terms with that. Yeah. I don't know, like every everything we, and I'm not sure this is what you were getting at, but like everything that we do for our own betterment is going to have like a positive or a negative effect on somebody else. Yeah. And, and like every, that kind of like, it's just like this like butterfly effect that like affects everything. That that, that perfectly actually connects me into where I, I wanted to go because I wasn't sure how to get there. That <laughs> what is the thing you want? And this is bringing in my stoicism, but I think completely justified. Do you want the thing you want? You think you know what you want. Yeah, do you want to do all the things it takes to get there, right? And maybe some of those are actually quite awful. And if you have to do all those awful things, then that's not actually the thing you really wanted. Although you might, you can convince yourself you wanted it, right? That's spray, that's the addict, that's the mama's boy, right? Is convincing, this is what I need, this is what I want. But to be the king is more like actually than the traditional idea of God, the God the Father, kind of, who's responsible and has to take all the, the whole picture into consideration. And it's, you know, that I want a thing, you know, like you were saying earlier, like to expand my reach, to improve myself, but not at any cost, right? That, that's not actually what I want. So then it's yeah, to, to look within yourself to see what do I want that is within my grasp and that I can mm-hmm. do it myself rather than uh, magic and hiring soldiers and everything else. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like, so like if we, let's say you have a job and there's like 10 people that are worthy of a promotion for one spot. Like, what would you do to get that one spot without like sacrificing your status as a good, as a good coworker? Like, would, like, would you throw somebody under the bus or would you just like, you know, on a, on a, I guess on the worst side of things, like, would you throw somebody under the bus and throw everybody under the bus except for you to like, try to get that spot? Or would you just try to be the best at your job and hope for the best understanding that you still may not get it? And right. it's like, that's like a very small potatoes version of it. But like, if you're Skirner, like you know, who would you fuck over to earn favor with like a person of high status? Yeah. And I don't know, like, again, again, like, I know maybe this is not again where you're going with that, but like, I, I feel like that's a question that all of us have every day. Like, what are you willing to do to satisfy your own goals? Yeah. Like maybe a sacrifice as far as finances or maybe a sacrifice as far as like, you know, playing politics at work to try to make somebody else look bad or something like that. Yeah. And, and that sometimes it is accepting fate. And then th- that often that's, that doesn't sound like a positive answer. That doesn't sound like the happy answer. 
just based on all the things I'm thinking about today and you know, learning about today and you know, things like that, that when you have something that gives you meaning, that's the thing you can tolerate that answer, right? That, that you, that if, if you know that fate is something you want, then you can accept fate. But when it seems like a meaningless thing and the universe is just against you and it's cruel, why don't I get to have, I saw the beautiful woman and why don't I get to have her, right? Uh, the, the cruel universe and woe is me, right? That's, um, it seems unfair unless you have a system to make sense of why the world is the way it is. Sure. Um, that, and then again, what is the myth about, right? It's another hero's journey. It's a very shadowy, dark hero's journey, but always the hero's journey. Well, it, it's definitely the the journey of becoming a man. The question of, for the, the feminine warrior archetype, uh, I'm reading the book She right now by Robert Johnson talking about the how all these myths and the feminine psychology, because most of the myths are written by men and they're trying to sort out their own psychology. So that's why why gender bias, right? But sure. if the story is about trying to become a man, but that Freyr does not become a man because Freyr gives up his sword. Sure. <laughs> and, and he's not actually, right? And so that he gets what he wants, but then he doesn't get to become a man. And what did he need to do differently to be a man, right? So that's where I think there's, other stories, you know, generally the ones with Thor, right, where maybe he loses his hammer, but he gets his hammer back, right? I think that's, there is something, about, why is the, the phallus sacrifice the term I always use? There's something that you have to sacrifice, but then it's not just like you sacrifice it and then you're done, right? It's that you have to figure out what actually mattered, something like that in the in the meantime. Yeah. With, with Thor, it was, right, that he couldn't solve everything by smashing it with a hammer. He had to figure it out a different way. And now he has both his hammer and his wisdom, and he has those together he's getting much closer to being the king or a real man rather than uh, just a warrior, just a hangry Thor smash. Um, I think that's my take on what does this story tell us? It, it, uh, I think it's kind of half a story, but uh, it's, it's good to have those sometimes I think where the story doesn't end in a Percival's story. It's that the second time he comes to the grail, he's learned a lot along his journey. And now he knows to ask who does the grail serve. And then they give him his answer that it doesn't serve you. It serves the grail king. It serves God. It serves the king that's higher than the king. And then the king himself is actually healed. So again, if these are all in our dreams, then ah, now that he learned the right answer, he gets to be a king, right? He gets to be, um, but yeah, the Freyr is never the king. He's just the, uh, the lover boy. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Any other thoughts, John? I don't, am I now, uh, extra ramblings there? Yeah. Well, no, like I'm, I'm wondering like what Freyr learns from this. Like he, he finds from Skirner that he's going to get his bride, but he's like now upset that it's not soon enough. Do and we ever so, get like, any follow-ups on where, what happens with their marriage? We probably don't, huh? I think they just get married. I'm guessing he has a miserable marriage. I'm pretty sure that's where the story goes. Well, I mean, I don't know. If you pro- like, He obviously propped Ger- Gerder slash Girth up so much. Like, He probably propped her up to where like it was unreasonable for her to live up to those expectations. Yes. And again, like that's something we all fucking do, right? Like, yeah. We're like, oh, if only I had five thousand dollars, I could like upgrade my house, and then then I would truly be happy. Yeah. Oh wait, I have to figure out like what's going to make me happy on the inside. I have what I wanted, this materialistic thing. And by the way, like I'm not trying to say like a bride is materialistic um, and, and or like a material, terms, but like, but it goes back. Is, is it of that perspective of adding to your status, right? Or is it what's for the good of the kingdom, right? What's for the good of this person, this woman, right? This family, this community, right? Is it for the good of that? Or is it just my ego and build my status, right? So well, I think it's very much his ego. Like he's very yeah. much like, oh, if I only had this perfect bride that literally radiates light, 
I'm going to be a happy person and I'm going to be more secure in myself. But no, there's other reasons why he was insecure in the first place to where he would have to ask his servant to go speak to her. And it's and, not going to be way, solved just like the that. The way he went about getting her, can she ever be happy? Right? Can he ever be happy with her? Right? I mean, obviously not. Right? Yeah, so. she's not. She's probably not going to be happy. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I, I feel like happiness comes from within, right? And like, that's a very cliche thing to say. But this is like, I feel like this story is kind of getting at that. Where like, you can say like, oh, if only I had this, I'd be happy. When no, like you, more often than not, you may have what it takes to be happy with everything you have. And like maybe stop trying to like look at what your neighbor has to say, if I had that, I'm going to be happy. And maybe he like prayer looks at like one of the other AC or Vander gods that has a hot wife. He's like, Oh, if I was there, if I was that person, I'd be happy. But you know, yeah, no, it makes me wonder if the author of this, whoever really put it together, wrote it together, right. Were they, were they just putting the story together? There've been a few comments from Larrington and John Lindau where they're like, Whoever wrote this one didn't know what they were doing. They just had not read yeah. our mythology very well. But then sometimes there's really interesting, you know, the poetry, the play on words, the there's a humor and an irony. And sometimes, you know, they, they create this dark hero and it doesn't go well. And it's just maybe that was the point. And actually, it's yeah, kind of great to write that story. But uh, I don't know. Well, if they have kids, it's going to be funny when like, like one of the kids is like, hey, mom. How did how did you meet Father Frey? Or and yeah. it's like they're like, oh well, let's see. Um, this servant that worked for your father came to me and said these things to me. If I didn't marry him, Skinner, how did you work that again? Right. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. No, and that um, I don't know. If Frey never happened to uh, get his sister pregnant either. I don't know. Frey doesn't have any kids, does he? But he is the god of fertility. So. He is the god of fertility, right? He he blesses the land. I don't know. Maybe he's not happy with that. Like that's his fate. Is just to. He blesses the land. He walks around, with, <laughs> walks around with his big penis and blesses the land. And uh, sure. and he's not, he's not happy with that. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know where we're going, Sean. But. I don't know. It's a good. It's it's a fun story. And yes. I guess uh, you know. I know we've talked about doing this episode or these series of episodes on Freya for a while now. And uh, you know, I think since he did play a decent role, like a decent sized role in Locusena, um, I think it goes well. I don't. I think the timing of this episode worked out very well. And. Yeah. I guess uh, next week we're going to get back into the story of Loki and wrap it up in the next few weeks where we discuss uh, Loki's capture. And then the week following that, we're going to discuss Loki's torture. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Sean, have a good night. You too. Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five-star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more.